With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Radio. This thing right here is for my people's in the Yes, yes, today. Yes, yes, today. You know, as we start this show, this one might be. There is a pause throughout the stadium as this man sounds like he just coughs up a lung. Just looking around, the jumbotron shows and pans the cheerleaders, and as it goes down each cheerleader's face, each one breaks up into laughter, which at this particular time destroys half the stadium. The other half is still trying to figure out what the hell just happened. Does this guy need uh, CPR or something? And then at that particular time, I lost it. Devon Yes, 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 today. Phoenix is another place. They got a great uh, training staff. I mean, they, they were able to breathe life back into Shaq. And if you can do that, then the people talk a lot about their training staff. Yes, today, you know, as we start this show, this one mic. Welcome to RSG One Mic. From the heart of the Midwest, we got a heat wave going on. Uh, we All three of us may be doing this show in our draws. We don't care. Uh, you might see a fan in the background. Uh, Hank finally got his AC back on. It's hot, but we dedicated to the cause, so we're going to still bring it back to you anyway. And so, you know, uh, if you want to catch anything we have going on, uh, check us out on realsportsguys.com. we got a lot going on. On our upcoming podcast, we're going to be doing one with Phil T. Uh, we're going to be talking about possible models for college uh, basketball. So we got a lot happening on the platform. So check us out on realsportsguys.com or Apple Podcasts or your favorite uh, podcast platform, but this is one mic. This is where uh, we, 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 we warm you up with a little bit of open mic, then we get into the cipher, the heart of it, and then we hand it over to the to the uh, the patriarch, the, 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 the elder of the group to, to drop the mic for us. And uh, so we're not going to waste any time because the heat is on. Our feet are probably hot. I'm going to bring my man Hank in to, to, to give us a sense of how he's doing and, and, and whether or not he's, he's doing the show from underneath his AC unit, now that it's working. Oh, man. First of all, let me give a shout-out to all y'all out there. It feels good. There's just one problem. The AC is working, but now my house has melted. They took too long, D. They took too long. So I'm sitting outside in the cool, in the, watching the stars and the skies, while my couch and my TV and my refrigerator have all melted into puddles around me. <laughs> that's that Midwest life, boy. People talk about the winters, but when it get hot out here, that humidity, that's why so many football teams used to run their uh, camps, their, their their first part of the camp up in the Midwest. You had those teams coming up to Wisconsin 
and everything out because it was perfect weather to try to get uh, players in shape. Uh, you had the Bears up in there. You had, uh, 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 I think, uh, New Orleans came a couple times. Kansas City came up there. Uh, so and this is why they this is why they come up here and do this stuff. So uh, we feel in the heat wave. We've been we've been trying to push it for so long because we had so much rain and everything else. Now it's here. I'm just like, oh my goodness! It, it was good to have a rain shower this morning. And then we got the youngin. He probably over there with with last time I saw him. He was on the heat with a hoodie on. So young people don't understand, uh, Hank. They don't know what to do when the heat is on. He came out. I don't know what that's we had a barbecue. He come. It was 85 degrees. He walks back there with a hoodie on. I'm saying I can't tell him nothing. No, I said there's something no. about common sense, but but sense ain't common. <laughs> the thermostat is broke. The thermostat is broke. Oh. What's up, young man? How you doing, man? How you doing? Man, I'm feeling great. Summer's been full of sex, and we don't worry about the heat over here. Uh, my blood comes from Africa, so so uh, we don't worry about the heat. But um, before I get uh, oh any God. further, I want to say rest in peace. Before I get any, before I get any further, I want to say rest in peace to uh, Pernell Wager. We we lost a legend on Monday. Yes. Uh, one of yeah. the best to ever do it. One of the best defensive fighters ever. Uh, one of the best uh, Olympic teams to ever um, to ever um do it in night in the summer of eighty four. And I just wanted to get that out there, rest in peace. Um Yeah, I was I was hoping you were raised that, that uh yes, yes. You you do you doing all right, man. But I'm glad you raised that about Pernell, Sweet Pea. I mean if you if you youngest haven't checked it checked out Sweet Pea, check it out. I mean the videos are incredible when you think about how great this guy from defensive what he was able to do and then, you know, then have some power and, and it was just some big fights. This is someone that uh, is 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 one of those those legendary fighters that a fighter's fighter. Like there are certain fighters where when they fight, other fighters show up. That's what happens when Pernell is fighting. All other top mm-hmm. dogs show up. Now, now every fighter don't get that kind of travel, but you know when you're a dog is when every all the other dogs show up when you fight. That's 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 the real respect. You don't need to be pound for pound or whatever that is. Whenever he fought, the rest of the dogs showed up. So while we're doing this boxing thing, we're going to place the young. And as I told you, we have this uh, 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 podcast that we do on the, uh, on the Real Sports Guys platform uh, called uh, Boxing Moment with, my, with Darnell and myself. Uh, you know, this guy is really growing and really, you know, this is one of the underground boxing minds in the country right now we're developing here. People don't know about him, but he, as you know, he knows this game. This cat studies it. So we want to isolate him because we've got a big fight coming up. And uh, with uh, Keith one time Thurman, not because he's not got one time, he only fight one time a year. But we'll deal with that later. And then we got <laughs> Pac Man, Manny Pacquiao, uh, coming through the through the through the game. And and it, we, it's only appropriate that we isolate and, and and have my man provide the keys to victory for both fighters and his prediction for the fight. So go ahead, take it, youngin. You're in isolation. Iso, you are you are now James Harden. And I'm over. I'm standing over here like CP3, um, like pass the ball. Well, I'm not passing it quite yet, but uh, <laughs> but um, my opinion about this fight is uh, it's, it's going to be it's an interesting fight because um, in my opinion, both of these guys picked the fight for the same reason. Both of these guys were trying to um, in a sense, cherry pick each other. Um, Manny Pacquiao was on his way um, 
to he wants to make another resurgence at a championship, but um he chose Keith Keith Thurman. I know you're gonna say how do you how do you um carry pick a champion? But um it's not necessarily cherry picking when you're trying to fight a, a, a bad fighter, but it's the um a fighter with the um, circumstances that best suit you, right? So um many fact you'll see in the guy in Keith Vermin that has been off for about two years, coming off of injuries, came back and um had a very um I wanna say a very questionable performance against Josecito Lopez. He um he he had some good moments. He boxed well, but um in in the seventh round he was hurt bad by the Riverside Rockies. He was staggered. He was he was flopping all over the ring, just like your boy James Harden, flopping all over the ring. And Manny Pacquiao was sitting in the sitting in his <laughs> living room saying, "Maybe I could do this." And on the other hand, we got Keith Thurman. He's saying. Man, I don't want to fight Earl Spence. I don't want to fight Terrence Crawford. But um, we have this guy on PBC. He's a new guy on PBC named Manny Pacquiao. He's a legend. He's going to give me a lot of money. I'm, I'm, this is going to be my first fight on pay-per-view. And um, I'm going to just take what's coming at me. And I, I think it's going to be a, a very favorable fight for me because I'm finding a guy that's older. He relies a lot on his athleticism, and he's, he's 40 years old, let's face it. He's 40 years old, so the athleticism has to be waning at some point. He might get old in one night. Well, he's already old, but um, you get what I'm saying. So both of these guys are um, thinking it from that standpoint. But um, in my opinion, I will not bet on this fight. But if I um, – I will not bet on this fight, but um, for my prediction, I'm going to have to go with Keith Sermon. Because Keith Thurman should, he should be able to beat Manny Pacquiao. He better be able to beat Manny Pacquiao. Manny Pacquiao was a 40-year-old man. Like I said earlier, he relies mostly on his athleticism. He does a lot of things fundamentally wrong. He jumps in, um, he he drops his head. He jumps in, comes in with his head first when he's um, throwing his combinations and stuff. And um, a guy like Thurman has good timing. He has a good he has a good counter function, even though he throws a lot of stuff wide. But he um so he's shown the ability to be able to catch a guy coming in. And um with his ability to move, that's another thing um Manny Pacquiao struggles with. Manny Pacquiao he's a, he's an athletic guy, but he's not good at cutting off the ring. So if if, if um Keith Sermon can stay on the outside, counter punch, um, stand the ground when he needs to, he should be able to win this fight pretty handily. But with the um question with Keith Sermon's chin, I can't necessarily trust him. So um, it will not surprise me if um, Keith Thurman gets stopped in this fight. But in my opinion, the only the only way Manny Pacquiao can win this fight is by is by stoppage. So um, that is my take on the fight. Uh, now uh, now I'll pass the ball to um, Devon with about four seconds left in the shot clock. And, and, and I'm gonna have to rush it and bang, bang it off the side of the backboard. But thank you for the analysis. <laughs> we will be watching the fight. We'll be watching that fight, uh, uh, checking it out, uh, and 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 then we'll be, obviously you and I will uh, reflect on it. But I think you broke it down the right way. And this is, in many ways, for all their flaws, this is a pick 'em, <laughs> and it shouldn't be. But because of coming back for injury and everything else, I mean, I think the way you fly me, I mean, I think you're leaning towards Keith Thurman is probably the right thing, just because in in a pick 'em you, you go with you, 
um, because they both have the kinds of flaws that you wouldn't surprise you which one would win or, or not win. So I, I love the way you where you do it. You know, there's a thing in education where we always talk about we're in the seed planting business. You, you say something, you work with somebody, you never know whether it's going to take or not or what it's going to take. Um, and so y- your effort is just planting the seed. And there was a moment in uh, the interaction between uh, Dwight Howard and Kobe Bryant that came to what could be at this point seen as a seed planting moment based on a recent interview on Fox by Howard. It was that, that moment when uh, uh, Howard went to Houston and he came back and played in the game against the Lakers. I believe that's what was the framing. Uh, you know it was already tense. He comes back because, obviously, you know, he and uh, uh, Kobe had a, a different way uh, in terms of how to play approach the game. Um, and, and Kobe obviously didn't think that Howard uh, took, a, took it seriously enough. And so when altercation call, uh, uh, happened, uh, Kobe called him soft. And as Howard reflects on it in his interview, it was something that stung him for a long time because uh, he believed that Kobe really didn't understand who he was, even though he was affable, even though he's someone who was kind of – the way he played, he played with big effort, which his numbers will reflect. Uh, but he wasn't the kind of person who was going to be scowling and, uh, uh, you know, biting people's heads off. That was never his approach, but that didn't mean he was not going to try to produce. And so, obviously, when he had a chance to go into free agency, uh, you know, Kobe wasn't really trying to, you know, push to have him stay or not. And so he, he ended up he ended up leaving. And he ended up saying this interview that now that he looks back on it, he kind of now understands what Kobe was trying to say to him, uh, really trying to hit the, the, the level of in, intensity and, and kind of focus. Um, and so it just got me thinking, you know, uh, a couple of questions. You know, because of this way that Howard's been framed, it's, it's interesting because this is a guy, if you look at it, he's produced, you look at his numbers over time, he, you know, he was a dominant force. His numbers don't equal up to how people view him as his, as his brand. And I was going to ask you to, you know, to you, what is Dwight Howard's legacy? I know he's still playing, but he's on the backside of his career probably more than being on the front side. Hank, let me start with you. What, what do you see is, uh, is, is Dwight Howard's legacy? The thing is about Dwight Howard, he's one of those players that came right into the NBA right out of high school. Okay. Um, and, he was big. He was dominant. He was given. He was coined the name Superman for a while. Uh, he could leap out the gym for a big man. Very athletic. The problem with Dwight Howard was, while his numbers might look good, guess what? When you stay in the league long enough, you've got the talent that he has, and you play 82 game seasons. Your numbers are going to look great. You're going to look fabulous. The problem with Dwight Howard is with some of the teams that he played with, the Orlando Magic team that played against Boston um, uh, and had a chance to go to the finals, uh, the, the Lakers teams, these teams, they, 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 they brought him in to be that, that linchpin player to get teams over the top. And he found himself more times than not feuding with his uh, teammates about his effort as far as his seriousness, about taking the game serious and being serious and doing what he needed to do to get them over the top. 
and he looked extremely childish in some of these situations. So the reason why you got players and stuff calling him soft is just because of that. With what you can see his potential should have been, he should have been based upon his talent, just based upon his physical stature. One of the most, if not the most, dominant big man in the game. And, he, and that piece never measured up. He was, he was matched with some of the best players in the NBA at the time, and he just simply was becoming more of a problem than he was an asset. And so when you got one of the greatest players to ever play the game uh, in a Kobe Bryant, they're saying you're not taking this serious enough. And keep in mind, Kobe Bryant did the same thing with, with um, Shaq, you know, so that he wasn't taking his game to the next level as he should to try to get over the top. You know, and, and, and Howard, you know, showed himself to be very, very ultra-sensitive, okay, which you really can't be in this league if you're not producing the way you're supposed to do, especially at crunch time. So what his legacy will be, you still got players, you still right now got folks who hate him, okay? Uh, he he um, mentioned some interest in possibly going back to the West Coast, and you got this thanks but don't thanks about him. And see, once you get that stigma on you, uh, that that's going to carry you a long way because keep in mind what you do in a regular season, what you do in the playoffs is two different animals. And if you're causing problems in the regular season, or if you proceed to be a problem in the regular season, and it does not translate to something that looks like W's in the preseason, then then your your legacy is set. You are a, a whiner, a crier, and soft. And 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 while I know there was a conversation between him and Kobe now. He's grown up a lot from the time he's gotten in. You know, that's uh, like uh, barring the gate after the horse that left. Yeah, I mean, this this is a guy, you know, he went to a small Christian high school. But when you look at this, all that being said, this is a, this is a young man or older man or man. He's an eight-time NBA All-Star, five-time All-NBA first team. He's, he's, he's a three-time NBA Defensive Player of the Year. He's a four-time NBA All-Defensive all First Team. I mean, he uh, uh, he's a slam dunk champion. He's a two-time NBA block leader. You know, it, will, you, will you look at the co-MVP of the NBA, uh, of the McDonald's All-American Game? He's a gold medalist. I mean, if you were to say that and not put his name on there, you would say this guy has a hell of a career. And in his right. time, he was the dominant center. So it's 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 like like even how you described it, the narrative doesn't add up to actually production. Went deep in the playoffs in the East, you know. Even when a coach like Van Gundy likes to coach every possession down the floor, which we know there's some flaws with that. And and so that's it. I mean, I mean, you laid out a lot of good stuff. But when you when you put those stats down, it's like wow, this guy did a lot coming straight out of high school. You know, uh, at a small high school, you know, and I think that was part of it was very religious when he came out, and then that exposure of being a, uh, you know, NBA star and, and all the stuff that's coming at you when you when you him, you know, basically a grown man, a kid in a grown body, you know, he 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 endured a lot. He's only thirty three years old, youngin. What's your what's your what's your uh, opinion on this? Well, in my opinion, um, the White Howard legacy. He's going to be one of those guys that are remembered for having um, two careers, kind of like how we view um, a guy like mm. Grant Hill, or like um, Anthony Penny Hardaway that had a great start to their career, a guy that had so much promise that um, 
it's probably that will make the um, NBA Hall of Fame, I mean, the Pro Basketball Hall of Fame one day. But um, at the end of the day, he did not necessarily reach his, um, his feeling or his potential that we all had thought for him. Um, a lot of people joke on Dwight Howard, but um, people don't remember. When Dwight was in Orlando, he was a monster. Dwight Howard, he eliminated um, yes. and they eliminated the Celtics. They eliminated um, LeBron James. When they had when LeBron James and the and the Cleveland Cavaliers had the best record in the NBA, and he took um the Magic, he was the only superstar on the on the team, and he took them to the um to the finals. They did get swept by Kobe, but um he ruined the whole Kobe versus LeBron. There's the whole Kobe versus LeBron showdown that was supposed to happen. Dwight Howard and the Orlando Magic ruined that. People forget that, and um uh, another thing people forget is um Dwight Howard um right before he um, went to LA. He had a back injury, and um, like what, like what I said with Manny Pacquiao, Dwight Howard's one of those guys. His game was largely um, his game was largely um, predicated on athleticism. He um, a lot of people got on him because he was because he really needed to um, build a more skillful game, which I agree with as well. But um, he never quite was able to put it together. So when his athleticism faded because of his back injuries and also other injuries that came along with the back injury, he wasn't necessarily the same. Even though um, he wasn't necessarily the same, but at the same time, and if you look at that year that he had with the Lakers, he was still putting up great numbers. And then after he left the Lakers, he went on to the, uh, to the Houston Rockets. And when he was on the Houston Rockets, he was on the team where they, quite frankly, didn't focus on him. Like, they weren't giving him the touches that he needed. Um, James Harden was doing the James Harden stuff you were talking about earlier, and they pretty much wanted him to be what Clint Capella is now, the um, guy who's going to set a screen, dive to the basket, don't necessarily look for the ball that often, get your own rebound, and maybe put it back. But Dwight Howard at the time, he had a big ego because he was the guy that he took the magic, like I said, he took the magic to the finals. So he was like, man, I'm Superman. Give me the ball. But they're not going to do that. So he he got his way out of Houston, and then that's where the whole, like, Dwight Howard keeps changing scenes. He doesn't fit here. doesn't fit here. He doesn't fit here. And um, another thing I want to say is um, when Kobe called Dwight Howard, um, this is the question, when Kobe called Dwight Howard soft, was that, was that when, um, if I'm very afraid, is this, is this when he was on the Rockets and he um, got the rebound, Kobe fouled him, and then there was, there was like, the, the yeah. double technical thing? Yeah. yeah. No, no. When, 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 it was when he came back. I thought I said yes. Yeah, he came back his return game when he went to the Rockets. But the thing you said about it, I mean, oh, people okay. fail to realize that he swept LeBron James in four two. He had forty points with fourteen rebounds in the deciding game six, going into the finals. Like those are numbers. He dominated that. And like you said, he ruined the Kobe versus LeBron opportunity that everybody's looking for uh, and led his team. And and when he went to the Lakers, he went – like this is where the soft piece, I think he pushed back on. I came to y'all. I could have sat out, and I played through a whole year hurt. Yeah. And I think all, he also might have a – Yeah, the back and the shoulder uh, injury. I played through that whole thing hurt, but yet you call me soft? When I when I didn't have to play at all. But I I, I showed up every day and played even though I was smiling. And I think that's the part that uh, comes on. So then I'm going to switch this to, to, to Kobe. 
everybody talks about the mama mentality, and some people confuse because everybody's talking about this today around what leadership means, and and um and and Kawhi and leadership. It was a really good conversation about that, and one of one of the people said is performance isn't necessarily leadership. Just because you play well doesn't mean that you led your teammates. And so to y'all, is the mama mentality about leadership or is it about the desire to be the best, which is not the same thing? And to what extent did uh, uh, Kobe's lack of ability to lead impact the way in which Dwight could have been more successful in L.A.? I'm gonna start. I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna go to you, uh, 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 to you, youngin, to let you make it happen, Darna. Okay. So, um, ah, uh, so you said, um, can you repeat that question, please? I'm sorry. You said, so, um, this why I had to go. This why I had to go. This is how to go, Yeah, the mom. I'm trying to think. You said mama mentality. Mama mentality. Yeah, right. Mama mentality. A lot of what that friction was between Howard and Kobe was because Kobe believed he didn't have the ability to have the mama mentality, and right. and he he thought his way of of addressing him was the way he was trying to lead to change him, right? And a lot of people had friction around how he handled that, and so now he's building this whole brand on the mama mentality. Got all these young guys talking about the mama mentality, and to my to. And the discussion that we're having today is that great teams have players who actually lead. One of the things they talk about with Dame Lillard is the way in which he interacts with everybody from 2 to 15 in the way in which he builds his capacity in addition to being a great player, right, in addition to hitting the game when it's shot. Uh, the way Isaiah led, right, led and could hit the big button. So he had his individual performance, but he also understood winning the championship was about his ability to build the capacity of people around him. And some people have different styles of leadership. Michael's style sometimes was about fear, but also Michael did a lot of stuff behind the scenes to build capacity, whether it's the car game, it's the social stuff, it's you know things he did with his teammates to build to to do that both ways. So when you talk about right, mom so, mentality. Yep. You see what I'm saying? That's what I'm framing. How do you see the mama mentality yep. as it relates to leadership? I see what you're going. Yeah. I'm going two ways with this. Um, first, first of all, the mama mentality. When I um, when I think of mama mentality, um, I'm thinking of um, the work ethic, the um, things you do in preparation, the um, the way that a guy like Kobe and them um, go about their business. Like he he was a guy that was like him and Ray Allen and guys like that, they would be at the gym hours and hours and hours before a game shooting hundreds and hundreds of shots before the game. And that's another way I think of it. And another thing, I'd like to take it back a little further to um, this whole debate that that was um, had in the early to mid-2000s, the Kevin Garnett versus um, Tim Duncan kind of um, that debate, which uh, a lot of guys were saying, a lot of guys are thinking that just because a guy like um, Tim Duncan didn't show a lot of emotion with his face, they think, oh, oh, he doesn't play as hard as Kevin Garnett because Kevin Garnett is coming and yelling at people and, you know what I'm saying, he's talking trash. So they don't think that he's necessarily playing this hard. And that's another thing um, that you can um, parlay into, like a guy like Kawhi Leonard that has, like, a um, straight face. 
or a guy like um, Dwight Howard that might smile when he plays. And because he's smiling or just because he doesn't necessarily um, talk trash, doesn't necessarily mean he doesn't really work hard on the court. And that that can also play into, like, the leadership aspect of things. Just because you don't see people necessarily yelling and um, doing the things like, you know, like a Tom Brady would do or like a Kobe would do on the, on the court, on the field of play, as far as yelling at the teammates, you know what I'm saying, stuff like that, doesn't necessarily mean that they're not a good leader. Because you have guys like Tim Duncan, like I mentioned earlier. You have guys that um that lead by example. You have guys that um lead pretty much, pretty much like that. They lead through examples. They lead and they show you the way to go. And that's um pretty much the way I do. Uh, I think about um the model mentality and the way it's perceived. And I, I think, and that's part of why I, I think that's an interesting take on it. Because you know, one of the things, you, so take somebody who probably took a similar approach that Kobe did. I mean, Barkley tells a story. Um, and this this is a person that probably fits into one of your other examples, but but his directness is probably similar to probably Kobe's. But most Malone told Barkley that he needed to lose some weight. You need to go. So he he got on him the way that. Kobe probably would have gotten on Dwight about whatever he needed to do. But then what you know what Moses Lowe did? Work with Barkley to lose forty pounds. He worked with him. Right? He got him going on how to lose it. Right? And so part of this is this idea of, you know, uh uh greatness is, is done in this kind of individual space and not done in community. Might be listening now, Kobe might have done that, but I think in this instance, my whole thing with this whole Dwight thing was always about to what extent do you you know as a role as a leader to connect with him and, and work with him and figure out how to build his capacity if you think he can help you win. And that's a piece that I don't – the mom mentality means, yeah, you, you shoot at 3 in the morning, but you shoot at 3 in the morning sometimes by yourself, right? But to what extent are you doing – I'm not saying Kobe never did that. I think Kobe even admits he had to learn how to be a leader. You know, he knew how to keep himself going, but he – at a certain point, he realized being a champion required him to get everybody else's capacity involved in it. But at the time he was with Dwight, he wasn't quite there yet. We all no, I agree. would believe that. So Yeah, and that goes, so, back, to the, uh, and that goes back to the backstory of a guy like Kobe Bryant. Yeah. He's, um, like yeah. a, he's an isolationist kind of guy because he, even though he was born here, he, um, he grew up in Italy. He um, pretty yeah. much he developed his game by himself. Cause he did, and then when he came back to um, – Philadelphia and went through his high school days, he didn't necessarily, he wasn't able to relate to the people that he was with. So that can kind of speak to um, the way he is and the way he necessarily can't relate to um, other players around him. Those are good points about his early development. Hank, will you contribute to this? Yeah, I did. I wanted to say that you, you know, the one thing about this mama mentality, it, and, and let, let's just look at the Kobe Bryant brand in and of itself. This is a man that we know at one time scored 82 points in the game while the rest of his team watched. This is a man that also right around the 2004 season was questioning the work ethic of Shaquille O'Neal, one of the top 100 players in the league. Okay? So his mentality is his mentality. Now you got a young player like a Dwight Howard who did, by, as we have discussed, lead a team to the NBA Finals, okay? He's over here in Los Angeles, and he's trying to win him a championship, 
And if he's running into this sort of friction of the uh, Kobe Bryant Black Mamba experience in which you know for a fact that, that he is now the face and the name of the Los Angeles Lakers, okay? And if he did not come across very well, his leadership thing and what he's talking about, like you said, he is the player, everything goes through him, all right? And you tell him, Dwight Howard, to come over here. Now, you've got to succumb to this, okay? But I'm a great player in my own right, okay? But I'm young, and, I'm, you know, I'm enjoying being in the league and all these other things. So now you're going to hit him in a way or in a way that uh, pretty much alienates him with the rest of those players on that team because whatever Kobe says goes. So you got to also throw in that element, too, as to what kind of dissension that this Mamba experience put into the locker room where everybody else has already, you know, um, uh, succumbed to, or should I say submitted to, uh, Kobe Bryant being the, the end-all, be-all, and the start and the beginning and the alpha and the omega of the, of the uh, L.A. Lakers. And then you bring in a player like uh, Dwight Howard, who's supposed to be a super, a super superman, if you will, superstar, and then you all of a sudden calling him soft and all these other sort of things, well, then guess what? That's going to carry because of the influence of a player like a, like a, a Kobe Bryant, just like when we go back in the day as we've done before, and you see the influence that a Michael Jordan had on the legacy of the Detroit Pistons, okay? Um, you can see that, that what, what Kobe did could also impact the legacy of one Dwight Howard. The numbers don't bear it out, but we see how this man is looked at. Yeah. And those are really good points. And, and, and for those long-time listeners, my man Game Tater had the most – his most legendary rant was about Dwight Howard. And I think in, 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 in the spirit of this discussion, uh, we're going to try and re-release that, 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 that rant. It was straight hilarious uh, uh, regarding Dwight Howard. So uh, I, I will do that. Uh, that was one of the all-time best to do it. But I think this is a great discussion because um, across many uh, areas of sports, it's some of these kind of nuances that begin to define somebody's legacy in a way that doesn't bear out when we talk about sports being a meritocracy, doesn't bear out to what actually might happen if you go by the numbers. Right? If you go by the production and compare production, uh, someone like Dwight Howard had a very – at 33 years old, started at 18, you look at what I just said earlier about him, had a very dominant career by anybody's measure. So – it's one of those things where, you know, um, uh, it, it's always good to kind of look at uh, this and, and for him to reflect on, you know, he's at that point right now where he's reflecting on his career. Um, you know, it's like yesterday he was just 18 for some of us who watched him come in. Uh, but now he's in this reflective mode and recognizing those moments where he could have brought a little bit more different approach to things. So. That's that's a very interesting part of what this is all about. That's why we want to spend some time to do it. But now we're going to decipher the quiet before the storm. College football is coming up, and we're going to talk about that next. All right, decipher. The title of the cipher is the title of the podcast, The Quiet Before the Storm, College Football. And in this one, we it, it, because of like hip hop and how it flows with one mic, we gonna hit. We on this one, we gonna hit. We got five elements that we got to hit uh, as it relates to kind of our preseason conversation around college football. So we gonna work right through this stuff. We are gonna just get right into it. Well, college football at the end of the day starts with one thing. People like to 
figure out who's going to be that dog at the end of the year. And up until this point, it's been all about the Sooners. You know what I'm talking about, the Heisman Trophy. It's been a Sooner Award. Can we just change it? Can we change it to the Sooner Award? So the last two winners came from Oklahoma. And so the question is, will it be another Sooner? Or do will we have other takers? Who are some of our top three who we think might be competing for the Heisman this year? I'm going to start with Hank. Give me your top three preseason folks that you think are going to be in that running for the Heisman. Well, let me tell you something. I think that the Sooner Award is – I think it comes to an end this season, okay? I think that we had two very dynamic quarterbacks in uh, Kyler Murray and in Baker Mayfield. It was in Oklahoma. Good for them. But I think that this year that, that uh, we were going to probably see a change. Uh, my top three uh, Heisman uh, candidates coming in preseason, Trevor Lawrence. The quarter sophomore quarterback from Clemson. If you watched the national championship game last year, uh, this this young man, you know, they said if he wasn't a freshman, if he had the eligibility, that he would have probably been the top pick in the draft. Okay, he's only a sophomore. He's going to be leading Clemson next year. I think you got to keep an eye on him. The other young man was the front runner for most of last year before the injury started to get him, and that's Tua Tiger Viola, the quarterback out of Alabama. Okay, and, and he was he was breaking all kinds of records. And then the injury started, the injury bug started to plague him a little bit. Um, but he comes back healthy, he comes back ready, and you got to keep an eye on him because, again, you're talking about Alabama, he's going to be seen a lot. Now, my third pick is I'm going out on the deep end a little bit. I know that my my, my, uh, my Badger friend over there, I know he's got my, the running back. I'll let him use him. <laughs> but I'm going to I'm going to take somebody else in the Big Ten, and, and, and I'm going to say because this young man is such a dynamic player, he is such an exciting player, okay, that he's going to be one that people are going to look at simply because of how many touches he's going to get, and that's Rondell Moore out of Purdue. Now, this ain't got nothing to do with Purdue University as a team, but the offense that they run, and if you watch what this young man did by himself against Ohio State last year, Okay, as a freshman, if you watch what he did when he played against Northwestern to start the season last year, Rondell Moore is going to be one of those kind of players like like uh, Lamar Jackson was with Louisville. Not the greatest team in the world, but one of the most explosive, one of the most exciting players you're going to keep an eye out for. And 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 I think he's going to get, I think he's going to garner some Heisman attention simply because he's going to be on special teams as well as in the, in the on the offensive line on, on the uh, on the offensive side as a wide receiver. So those, those are my three: Rondell Moore, Tua Tagovailoa by Ola from Alabama, and Trevor Lawrence. Wow, that's good stuff. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to those things. I think those are really good, interesting picks. All right, uh, come, uh, yeah, hit me hit me with it, Darnell. Who you got? Well, I, I thought this three would be uh, the one everybody would have, but I guess not. But uh, Trevor Lawrence, the sun, the sunshine scooter. You know, uh, <laughs> he he could have started for over half of the he could have started for over half of the NFL teams last year. It's due yeah. to just that special. Um, I believe he's going to win the Heisman, but um, this is way too early, of course. The Heisman is won in the last half of the season, as we all know. My second choice would be um, Tuas Tagovailoa. He is also a very uh, – he's very good. He's an exceptional quarterback. Uh, I look at him as like a, almost like a, a left-handed version of Russell Wilson. Um, he's, a, he's a shorter guy, 
he's kind of injury-prone, actually, that one thing Russell Wilson is not. But his accuracy is something that is special. He's going to have to work on his um, – I wouldn't say he – it seems like in big games, he seems to be a little turnover-prone. But um, I'll take it with a child like Tua. And my third is going to be, like you said, the, the Oklahoma Sooners. It's just it's the magic. Uh, he's going to be somewhere in the mix. Jalen Hurts. Um, he is one of the most clutch players in college football. He's going to um, he's going to be absolutely let loose with the um, system that Oklahoma runs. And um, I'm going to look for him to be somewhere in the mix. And my dark horse, I don't know if I can if I'm allowed one dark horse or an outside guy, but that would be Sam Ellinger of Texas. All right, and you might have to bring Sam back at some point on that one. I think we're all uh, in on Tua and, and Trevor. I think Tua's struggle is going to be his coach. He's lost some key offensive coordinators. Um, his ability, he's replaced, you know, they replaced, I think they had, they had, I don't know how many, they had like, was it eight or nine uh, assistant coaches exit, maybe more Alabama. Um, so there's a lot of new coaches. A lot of and them, part yeah. of it is to, to, to what, to what extent will uh, Saban go back to the meet? Like his formula historically was running the football with a little bit of passing. Over the past couple of years, he kind of said, I'm going to convert and do it. And Tua helped him do that. Then they took the beat down. So then – to what extent will they let him be free? So that's going to be, you know, and they're going to have some really good games. It's going to be some tight matchups. Uh, some teams are going to be getting better over there uh, uh, in that SEC uh, West. That's going to be competitive. And so will will he have those moments? And I think part of it, which might benefit to it, because there's going to be some fourth-quarter moments where he's going to have to come through and make some plays to get him over the top, whereas he, because they were winning so big early in the season last year, he didn't have a lot of fourth-quarter moments. And then Trevor Lawrence, you know, he got nicked up and got hurt a little bit. I believe it was uh, the Syracuse game, and can he stay healthy? And, you know, there are times sometimes you have runs like this where somebody might speak up in that ACC. You know, there's Miami under Manny Diaz grew up breaking noise and create some upsets where that wouldn't have happened that um, might cause some headaches for Trevor Lawrence when everybody thinks they should dominate the ACC. But those two are clearly the front runners. And then I bring in, I think, you know, what's kind of stolen by my man Hank, you know, who brought it in. You know, Joke Walker Award winner. Uh, 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 <laughs> you know, has to be given some consideration uh, around it. But I will say this. I was most critical of him. And we're talking about Jonathan Taylor, running back of uh, uh, Wisconsin Badgers, is that he had the fumbles. So he's going to have to secure the football this year or he's not going to be here. But I also think um, that they are going to clear up. Their biggest issue was they, they couldn't have, they didn't have quarterback play. And they got Grant Mertz coming in. They got a, they got a, they're going to have much more uh, stable quarterback play in being able to get people out of the box than they had last year. And plus, their receivers who are hurt are back. They have one of their, I think, a very solid receiving core uh, uh, coming through, um, and with somebody who can actually get the ball downfield. And that's problems for anybody because you know they know how to move the football. And that defense is going to be back to where it needs to be. Um, and I think their schedule lines up a way that will allow him to put some numbers up and build on his campaign. But he's got to take care of the football. So, so he's he's someone who's in there, but there could be some yips for him as well if he's not handling that football the way he needs to handle it. So I, I think there's some really good. I think uh, all three of us have some folks who are probably going to be uh, in that consideration here in the first element. 
uh, around the Heisman. So we're going to move past the Heisman because we'll be able to come back to that a lot and talk about it during the season. This is always interesting to me because, you know, the preseason, all the preseason talk, everybody talks about everything. You know, it always ends up Clemson, Alabama, and a whole bunch of, you know, Georgia and everything else. But when you start looking at when we get to the end of the season, there was a team that was projected to be outside the top ten. But when we get into November, it's making noise. And when you look at where they started, they have them preseason ranked at 15, 17, and they're just humming. And you're like, well, how did they have them ranked at preseason 17? And then people become, you know, people become all kinds of revisionists and whatever it is. That, and so the way we're going to do we're going to tell you now, and then when it happens, you're going to know we told you. We told you in July these teams are going to be in the top ten. This is how we do it at RC. We put it on the line right now. Before Cass even got into practice, everything else, we're going to tell you they're going to be in the top ten. So these are three teams who are currently in preseason rankings outside the top ten that we think will be in the top ten. I'll start with you, Hank. You know what? I'm going to go with the obvious pick. I'm going with Notre Dame. Notre Dame right now is just outside the top ten. Um, they're at 11 in the preseason poll. They got the quarterback back in book. Um, I think that their schedule kind of lines up for them a little bit. I know they got to go to Ann Arbor, but they really don't have a whole lot of folks that they got to, to, to worry about that much this year. I know they got to Alabama. They got, they got to go to Georgia. They got to go to uh, Ann Arbor. But, see, I'm not sold on Georgia like a lot of people are sold on Georgia. And, and, and uh, Notre Dame kind of like – uh, snuck in there, and so that's a team that I'm looking at that's gonna that, that I think can sneak into the top ten by the end. There's a couple of teams that's in the top ten that I just don't have a whole lot of confidence in. The other team that I think uh, that can sneak in is Oregon. Oregon is another one of these teams that the quarterback decided opted to Justin Hebert decided to stay another year. And if you've got you a solid quarterback, you can do some damage, especially in what I would call a little bit of a down year for the Pac-12. They, and so you, there's got to be a face of that of that conference. And Oregon, is, I think, is primed right now to be able to do that with so many players out of the quarterback position that went to the next level. And then my third team is more of a dark horse, okay? It's more of a dark horse, uh, and it's because of the coach and it's because of their quarterback, and that would be Nebraska. Now, the thing is about it is because Scott Frost has already shown when he was at UCF that he could turn a team around pretty quick, okay? And I, I look at what, what he what the resources that he has in Nebraska. I think they got Nebraska ranked somewhere like 19. And there can be just enough crazy that goes on in the uh, Big Ten uh, west side that I think that uh, with, with some of the talent they got on that offense, that they can make enough noise to just to, to probably just sneak in. Now, that's just uh, we'll, we'll see. But I think that there's going to be a lot of cannibalism going on in the in the SCC and maybe in the Big Ten East, for that matter, that, 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 that Nebraska could probably sneak in there right around the 10th spot. All right. Those are good, uh, good picks. And I didn't have Notre Dame just because when you look at the polls, some of them have them at 9, 8. So people have given them some credibility in some polls or not. So, yeah. but I think that's you know, if they if they settle outside of it, I think that's a really good good pick. Uh, the way you got it, Darnell. Yeah, I got them at eleven. So you know, if they if they're in yeah, the list talks me. Yeah, yeah, the list talks me as Notre Dame at ten, but um, yeah, I will go with um Oregon 
like uh, Hague said, because they have a returning quarterback that's very good, he's going to be a top, possibly a top five and top ten draft pick in next year's draft, and Justin Herbert. And quite frankly, Oregon doesn't play anybody. His back 12 is probably one of the, it's probably one of the worst, if not the worst, out of the college life conference conferences as far as football goes. So I would go with either Oregon, Washington, and then I will go with um, the UCF Knights. Even with um, McKenzie, well, even with McKenzie Mountain being out, um, UCF and another team. They don't necessarily play elite competition, but they're a very talented team, a very well coached team. Um, I've, I've seen UCF um, making a push. They, they might go for another undefeated season. They might end up with one loss and so, but I'm, I'm pretty much projecting UCF to go undefeated. So my three teams would be um, UCF, Washington, and Oregon. So uh, my three teams. Uh... And, and this is a team for a couple of reasons. You'll know why I have to put them in there because if they don't, there's going to be some other stuff, some other uh, uh, repercussions <laughs> if they don't. Uh, <laughs> mine is Auburn. Mine is Auburn because Justin Alzheimer has got to have success. You know, he's coming off a, a, a route of Purdue um, and, and, and what happened, but Auburn fans wanted to see it tick up. And so, um, you know, and this is the kind of year when everybody's talking about Alabama, Clemson, and everything else, that somehow Auburn can yeah, – and I know my, my advisor for my PhD program, Dr. Jackson, probably uh, if he listens to this, will appreciate it because this is alma mater. I think for some reason I feel like Auburn will make a run and, and will will get into that, that, that top ten. My other one I just talked about a why, and, and if he's a Heisman Trophy candidate, is uh, Jonathan Taylor. And part of it is uh, – with uh, Wisconsin is, – is that – the, the the Big Ten West is getting better. Minnesota's putting together some teams. I think Nebraska will be better. So strength of schedule within uh, their 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 side of the division, I think, will benefit them in ways that will be helpful. Um, and I but I think that um, their defense is going to be better. And I think just their quarterback is going to be playing. Which if anybody who watched Wisconsin last year was uh, and Hank would appreciate this from uh, Michigan's woes is that they had all the players everywhere else. They had no quarterback. Pony Brook just couldn't get it done, and then they started to erode. Injuries started going. People started overplaying, and by the end of the season, the team was different. They got a kid, Grant Murphy, who I think in an Under Armour game threw six touchdowns. This is, I think their first four-star quarterback. Um, and Jack Cohen is a is I think is I just think they have an upgrade at quarterback, which is the key for that team because I think everything else is going to be good. And I just think that and and I I, I don't know if they finish outside the top ten maybe in the last ten years, easily. So this is a team that historically finds their way into the top ten. And then my last team uh, was mentioned a little bit by uh, uh, Darnell is Washington. First, the reason why is I think their problem last year is their quarterback was a great quarterback, but he couldn't throw. He couldn't get the ball downfield. And so everybody sat on them. Um, and Washington, even though he lost some defensive players, um, I think that's a team that's always going to be able to replace their defense. I think they're always going to have talent on defense. I think their defense is going to be good. Their problem is, again, quarterback play, being able to stretch the field in a Pac-12 that is going to have some wins. But a Pac-12, I think, is going to be better this year. You know, I think um, you got Arizona's going to be a little bit better this year with another year. Arizona State's going to be a little bit better this year. 
Are they going to be able to compete with some of the other ones? I just think they're going to be better. They're going to have, they're going to have some non-conferences. But I think Washington would have an Easton as the – you know, Jacob Easton was a great quarterback at Georgia, another highly uh, recruited quarterback who will be starting for them. And I think he has the skill set to, to take advantage of the talent that they got on the outside. So I think Washington will end up – will they make a run enough to get them into that Final Four? No, but I think they'll make enough noise to start letting people know that the Pac-12 is going back. And I think the only way the Pac-12 can get back is if teams like Washington, who historically have been dominant, regain that along with USC and some of the other teams. So I think Washington will get back in into it. Just quickly around that, you know, were there some just some um, some quick reactions around uh, what we hear from people? Any surprises? No, no, I, I don't think so. As far as the teams that we yeah. picked so far, yeah. No, I, I, I think I think the, your analysis is, is really good. I think that um, from what we see so far, it makes a lot of sense. This is what makes the preseason so difficult. We don't know. Now, and then you got players that's plugging in. Now, see, one of the things as far as Wisconsin that uh, hmm. that that kind of had me shy away from them was two things. Number one, because the quarterback position, and we haven't really seen him that much, and you lost four offensive linemen. Okay, that's not playing on Sundays. Okay, so you know that teams are going to load up and force your quarterback to throw the ball down the field. Okay, and they're going to load up and they're going to try to uh, stop Jonathan Taylor, make Jonathan Taylor, and make that team one-dimensional. One I don't know how much Paul Chris wants to throw the football. Okay, but uh, if I've got a weapon like Jonathan Taylor, I've got to use him. I've got to use him and utilize him probably in my passing game um, because those first few games, their quarterback school, they, that, that's going to be a team. They're going to say, we're going to try to take Jonathan Taylor away from you. If there's one area that you know they're going to replenish on, it's always the line. That's the one thing, and that's mm-hmm. why I didn't worry about it, because they, they build a system, the way they bring guys through, they're ready to play. And part of it is okay. the way that they bring them through. They almost use a Nebraska system with these offensive linemen, where they're competing against, in, in practice, they're competing against one of the top defenses in the country. They're bad guys. So that's why they can transfer, they can transition into starting roles. But So, so that's why they had the least amount of concern is because um, uh, they can do it. And I think their quarterback play can make up for, like, Hornybrook could make up for a bad a line that's going to need some help. Whereas I think these two quarterbacks now that they you know going in, particularly if they start Grant Merce, they didn't bring him here to sit. But, you know, it's going to be a quarterback competition. These are guys that can get that ball out in ways that can relieve some of the stress. But I think your point is right on. It's going to be wait to see what, what happens to them, to them early on. Our next category is about who's off the radar. You know, those players that are not quite out in that national conversation, and I'll kick this one off just because um, uh, Hank kind of opened up with somebody who I, I think is off the radar because people just don't know it because of his team, and, and that's Rondell Moore. I think Hank was right on. This, this is a kid, as a freshman, was a consensus All-American. The only other player to do that is Adrian Peterson. He had 12 receiving touchdowns and one rushing touchdown. He, was, he won the Paul Horning Award. He's a consensus All-American. First team All-Big Ten. Big Ten Freshman of the Year. Uh, he, he, is, he is CBS uh, Freshman of the Year. I mean, he was U.S. Uh, today uh, high school. I mean, this guy has all the awards. Grew up in Indiana. Um, and, and decide to go with, with the Boilermakers, and they, they get the ball to him in many different ways. So this is a guy I think is going to help them win some games. 
that they normally wouldn't want because of the touches they're going to get him, and he's electric. Uh, he's one. And then one, I think Hank is going to like this one because I think, I think what we hope we would have saw from him last year is what we will see from him this year. And he's kind of been lurking at the, the edges of the Heisman Trophy Award, and I'm not trying to be a home, but I just think this guy is going to have a, a, a breakout season in the schedule sets up for him to do that. It's Shea Patterson. Shea Patterson is is, and I think part of it's going to come down. And we had this debate <laughs> when I was. If my man Polo was listening, you got to check his article out uh, on uh, RealSportsGuys.com. But we had this argument uh, uh, after we played eighteen. This we can do. Uh, the brothers can love brothers and talk about it. He's a, he's a Michigan alum, but he's hard on hardball. But Shay Patterson with the offensive coordinator. I think we're going to see the full weapons of his ability, his ability to run pass. And I just think that um, uh, the way the season sets up where Notre Dame, they play Notre Dame late, those games are going to be prime games. He'll have Ohio State is at home. I think and I think he's going to be key to winning those games. He's going to have to make some plays with his feet or whatever and, and at a time when that Heisman conversation is beginning. And by that point, I think they're going to be, if not undefeated, I think they got Wisconsin they got to play. And I think that's a game they can win. It's, it's, I think it's in uh, uh, Madison, uh, I want to say it not. But that that but I think he, he stacks up too. So those are two players I think that you have to pay attention to uh, kind of off the radar, aren't in that main conversation all the time, uh, that I think. Uh, Darnell. First of all, I, I believe um, Najee Harris is going to have Oh, that's yeah, a good one. Absolutely banana season. Because you're looking at a guy at Alabama in Najee Harris that um he averaged seven yards a carry. And he was the third running back in the depth chart. But now you have Josh Jacobs is he's in the NFL. Damon Harris, he graduated, now he's in the NFL. So now he's gonna get a lot more touches. And he's gonna explode. He's gonna see like a uh, you're going to see, like, something very special coming out of Najee Harris. I see him making an explosion and a big jump this season. And uh, my second pick is going to be um, Chase Young. Chase Young is going to have a very good um, second year at Ohio State, the defensive end. Yeah. He's going to have a he, – he showed some promise last year, and he's going to be a guy that's going to make a big leap. And my third guy – out of Israel, Michigan, none other than KJ Osborne at University of Miami. <laughs> he's a guy that um they just announced he's going to be he is um, on the watch list for the um Fred Belitnikoff Award. He's a guy a lot of guys haven't necessarily seen because he was playing at Buffalo, but now he transferred to Miami. He's going to be in the SEC. He's going to get looked at because he's going to be playing against teams like Clemson, playing against guys like Florida State. So um. He's going to have a – I believe he's going to have a breakout season. He's going to get a lot of eyes on him to watch out for. All right. And, Hank. Okay, real quick. My breakout guys is going to be Kelly Bryant, uh, the transfer from Clemson going over to Missouri. I expect him to really try to show what he's got going on. Uh, you guys took a couple of miles already. So the other one I'm going to pick is uh, Adrian Martinez, the quarterback from Nebraska. This yep. young man is a talent. He is something to see. It's a shame that uh, Nebraska had the season that they had last year. He had hurt a couple of times, but he's definitely going to be somebody to watch. He's going to make Nebraska a very, very dangerous team to look at this year. 
All right, and for you live listeners, we're about to go into our overtime to finish our last two, which will be coaches on the hot seat and who will make the final four and drop the mic. So if you're listening live to hear this one, you're going to have to catch us later because these are our two big ones. So you, you, you'll probably have to hear the coaches on the hot seat and who will make the final four uh, on, the, on the recorded version because we're about to go to overtime on this and drop the mic. So we're going to start with the, the coaches on the hot seat. I'm going to start with, with the coaches I got. And, and, and then we'll move to y'all. Willie Taggart. Man, you just got to figure out how to do it, man. You left you left, you left, left Oregon. You, you, the duck, you went there. You got to figure out how to do it, man. If you don't get it right, you out. My other person, Clayton Clayton Hilton, USC. It's, it's, it's oh, on, dog. If, 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 if you don't do it, you, 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 they're going to walk. They might, you know how they do at USC. They'll tell you when you get off the plane. They, you know, they might they let you go back to the campus. They're going to get you out of there. And then the two guys we're going to face at the end of the year, Jim Harbaugh and Ryan Day. Harbaugh's trying to get over the top. Huh? Ryan Day's trying to hold the, hold the fort. If, if you don't beat Harbaugh, you know the people in Buckeye land ain't going to be happy because you're supposed to continue the legacy. So those two will be on the hot seat in different ways. They're just going to be pressured. Are they going to be asked to leave? Oh, Okay. It's going to be it's, it's going to be under they, they have to win. Harbaugh's got some hold, but it's rumblings in and out. It's time to get over the top. And then my final one is Gus Malzahn. You're just in the SEC, dog. It's Auburn. You're just in the SEC. They just they don't they yes they're they're they're, they're erratic. They're crazy. But it's Auburn. And if you don't beat Alabama, if you don't give them something to chew on, they're going to chew on you. And, and you're going to be on the Paul Feinbaum show where they're going to say, Paul, I don't know what Gus is doing, Paul, but he need to get out of here. And we're going to get him out, Paul, and that's what's going to happen with you. All right, Hank, I'm going to go to you. People on the hot seat. Okay, coaches on the hot seat. I picked them. You know what? You're absolutely right. you got to figure out a way to beat Nick Saban at some point. And with that being said, Ed Orgeron, you know, you you over there at LSU and, and, and brought you back, and uh, you you got to get it done. You gotta get it done, and, and and right now you're not you're not even the team that's looking at to to be the one to take them down, okay? The offense is abysmal, all right. You gotta figure it out. Secondly, and this might be a shock to some of you, Jimbo Fisher, okay? The fraud that you might yep. have been in Florida State. Now Willie Taggart is out there. Jimbo's got to be out there too. You in the SEC? That's Texas. And speaking of Texas, Tom Herman. You can't beat Maryland, Chief. You can't beat Maryland. So, so you having a, you beating the Red River Shootout ain't getting it done. All right. They didn't bring you over there for, to be a runner-up. All right. You getting the same kind of talent as my boy did that's down at uh, uh, down in Florida. But uh, he had to go. Like uh, what's his name? Uh, Charlie Strong. Charlie Strong had to go. You ain't won no more championships than Charlie did. Okay. Those are my coaches. Tom Herman. Um, Jimbo, you took the rest. He helped them miles on, and I'm not and I'm not putting Jimmy on the hot seat. I'm just I'm just gonna keep it real, and I, you know me, it's family connections. I love it, but I gotta keep it real. All right, all right, Darnell. Man, y'all y'all must be reading my mind. <laughs> I don't got anything different to say. I got Clay Helton from um, USC. That's a story program. You gotta do something, baby. Um, <laughs> we can't see we can't see them too much longer without being in that playoff picture. 
Um, another team um, that hates said, um, you got Ed Orgeron. You know how he's oh, yeah. doing a good job at LSU, but at the same time, you know how it is in the SEC. They they fired Les Miles. Uh, Mark Rick got fired. Um, you you're in with um with one of the legends in um in coaching is Nick Saban, and uh, a lot of teams, especially at story programs like uh, Louisiana State University, um, you gotta you gotta find a way some some way somehow to beat Alabama, and um. If you if just just as you said with Jim Harbaugh, and he's going to be in trouble if he can't um, beat the teams like Alabama, can't beat the teams like Georgia, even though I think they beat Georgia last year. But um, if they can't beat those kind of teams, he's going to be in the hot seat. And my third is going to be Gus Malzahn. He's he's another guy. He's had he's he's had a very um, roller coaster up and down. Um, Yep. Up and down um tenure in, in in at Auburn. He he's had the highest of highs with Cam Newton, with um Nick Fairley and the other team with Nick Marshall and Trey Mason, another name that I haven't heard from in a long time, Trey Mason. But um he had some high, very um high highs and some pretty low lows as well. But um he's gotta he's gonna have he's gonna have to impress and have a very good season at um at Auburn to uh, avoid being on the hot seat. So those are my three um, and, I, and, and while you're going, I'm going to keep the ball in your hand on that side of the floor. Who do you think going to make the Final Four? Who do I believe is going to make the Final Four? Um, yep. I'm, I'm going to go with Alabama, of course. Uh, I'm rolling with the tide like I always have been. Um, Clemson. Of course, you got you still have that dynamic duo, and they were only freshman last year. It's, it's crazy to believe they're only freshman last year, but then when you're gonna have to see them for the next two or three years, for the next three years, you got um Trevor Lawrence, and you have um Justin Ross. Now, that dynamic duo is gonna be some. That's like that's like Tom Brady and Randy Moss, the college version. But um, <laughs> you're going to see Alabama. You're going to see Clemson. My third team. Ah, uh, let me look. Let me look. Uh, who is my third? Team? Oh, Ohio State. Ohio State. Um, my only trepidation with Ohio State is going to be um, the quarterback situation. They have a highly talented quarterback in Justin Fields coming in to transfer from Georgia. He sat behind Jake Fromm, and he um. He uprooted uh, Tate, Tate um, Martell. Tate Martell had to leave. But um, I watched um, the spring game, and I watched um, some tape on him before. And he's a, he's a very good runner, but his um, passing game leaves a lot to, to be desired. That's the only trepidation with taking Ohio State. But I believe Ohio State will be in there when it's all said and done. But my fourth team is going to be the winner of Oklahoma and Texas. And in my uh, opinion, Oklahoma's going to win. They're going to win that game. Oklahoma should be the fourth team. All right. Hey. All right. I'm going to send the young and out to the wheelchair, but because uh, he's almost right. <laughs> you know, I, I clearly until uh, until until further proven, you can't you can't remove Alabama, you can't remove Clemson. 
you, we just got through saying that the quarterbacks are Heisman candidates, okay? And, 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 and using Darnell's logic, you can't remove Oklahoma neither because he made their quarterback a Heisman candidate, okay? So then we come to the fourth team. Now, we just talked about a player, Devon, you did, a player that's off the radar that we expect to have a wicked season that's got Alabama's offensive coordinator, that's got a a, 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 a smattering <laughs> of, of, of wide receivers, okay? And I'm picking the University of Michigan because for the first time oh, I'm thinking dude. of the football era, and <laughs> let me explain this, hush your mouth, you had your turn, um, is that <laughs> you've got a quarterback that's been there two years, you're playing a quarter, you're playing an offense that is – uh, of his caliber. This is the only time I've talked about Michigan this whole show. And that's because for the first time they are now equipped to 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 run an offense that is conducive to the talent that they have on the offensive side of the ball. Okay? And and, and the, the games they lost saved the game against Ohio State last year. That offense was abysmal. Just was not getting it done. Okay? I also believe that they they they've fortified themselves on defense with talent. I think they've kind of learned from their mistakes. All their big games are at home, and all the big games at home last year, they were undefeated at home last year. They've got the, 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 the one sticking point, in my opinion, is the game against Wisconsin. But you have state, you have both state teams, and you got Notre Dame at home. I think that's enough to propel Michigan to win the Big Ten East finally, to go ahead and win the West, to, to win the Big Ten, and get into the college football playoffs. Hey, hey, so this is, this is interesting. So um, I got Clemson because I just think uh, they're going to have some challenging games in the ACC, and I think teams are going to be better, which is, again, continue to strengthen them as the number one seed in the four. Uh, but I think they're still a little bit ahead of some of those teams in the ACC, even though those teams will be better. Um, but, you know, they could get shocked. But I got Clemson there. And then this is my soccer. I, I just think – with all the transition and assistant coaches and everything at Alabama, I think this this is the breakthrough for Georgia. You know, they got rid of the quarterback controversy piece. Um, I always felt like it was reason why they struggled last year and didn't quite finish the way they did is because they put Jake Fromm in, in a position he should have never been in, given his performance the year before. He should have been a clear-cut, number one, and they tried to mimic that Alabama piece and not understand if, he, if they would have just had confidence in him and just let him do what he needed to do. I think they would have won through those those games. But I think eliminating some of that and allowing him to just be that quarterback, I think Georgia is going to have their breakthroughs. Are they going to win a national championship? Not necessarily sure about that, but I think they'll be there. Also, given they got some really good – they got Notre Dame coming down with a good non-conference game. I I think they'll have a strong uh, 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 pedigree. They'll have the uh, SEC championship where I think they'll beat uh, uh, Alabama in the championship and, and, and get in. Uh, and then I have Oklahoma. I think a lot of us haven't talked about uh, Jalen as much. I think, uh, Darnell, you might have talked a little bit about him. But I think I think he's on a mission. And the way in which uh, he he uh, demonstrated and, and, and behaved it, during his time at Alabama and now transitioning, I think being in Oklahoma with his leadership, I think it's going to feel almost like what happened uh, uh, when um, – uh, 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 we had we had uh, the situation at Wisconsin uh, when you have that graduate transfer it immediately becomes a leader 
and 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 then you're off and running with I think a little bit different result. And I think that's part of you know when Russell came in, you know uh, it was a hail mary and, and some stuff at Michigan State and stuff that kept that that Wisconsin team for making that run. But I think uh, Oklahoma has pieces has some pieces in place, and I think uh, I think Jalen Hurst is going to uh, make a run. So I think Oklahoma's going to be there. Um, I, I you know I think Herman is going to be up against something when they when Oklahoma and Texas face each other. And then I said Michigan. The reason why I said it, and in my argument with my guys uh, back here, I said, I said the year to look at. I said the year they're going to be uh, beat Ohio State is going to be this year. One because it's going to be at home, even if they would have Urban. One, it's going to be at home, and then this is going to be really the first complete class of of where most of the players have come through Hardball's recruiting. With with a quarterback who. What I, what I saw last year resembled somewhat of his personality, but I don't think was was given the full reign of the car the way he should have been given. And the one thing I look at is that the schedule, championship schedules are, are, are part of it as well. And I think the way they set the schedule for them this year, with, with some challenges like Wisconsin at the right time um, and some other challenges, to kind of build them to a point where they have enough confidence so when they got that dreaded schedule at the end where it really counts to make your run, I think they'll be humming at the right tempo. And then the thing you said that was really important about this with the Ohio State thing, Justin Fields is a great runner, but it's still worked in the past. And I think given Michigan's defensive velocity, that actually played to their strength. Where they struggled was when you sometimes have that two-way kind of guy. And he can throw, but he ain't a great thrower. He's not a great one, and, and I think that plays well to them in playing in Ann Arbor. Uh, I give them – it'll still be – it's going to be a barn burner because it always is. And then they go to the Big Ten Championship with ideal. They, they, play, they might play Wisconsin again, who might only have one loss on their record at that point. And then they beat Wisconsin. That puts them, I think, into the, into the final game. And, and it gets Harbaugh. Now, what Harbaugh does once he gets there, I can't tell you. But I think it's enough for him to get into that, into that game. All right. We'll, we'll be debating this for the rest of the year. It's on wax. And now we got one to thing to say, man. What, what are you going to say? Okay. I was going to say, hey, I, you, got, you guys got me feeling like, you guys got me feeling like Stephen A. Smith. With Michigan, whatever, whatever can go wrong, will go wrong. So, we can, we can that, wait that, for the revenge tour part eight. season eight. <laughs> Living in Ann Arbor, wearing a Sparty jersey with bucket with, with Buckeye draw, so you you don't really count. In some ways, you are average. You are like you're an outlier. So we we can't even understand your perspective on this. Yeah, see, here, 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 here's it's the thing that drives me nuts. See, now you see, I was gonna try to end this show on a high note, but the, the, you, you you had to keep talking. See, you had to keep campaigning, so now you're gonna get elected. Let me tell you something, okay? This is this is for us to be analysis as we know it now. You want to throw something, what can go wrong, will go wrong. That could happen with any team, young man. And, oh, by the way, you got a quarterback <laughs> that transferred in here that can't throw the ball across the street without, without the help of a crossing guard. Okay, so let's just let's just keep that let's just keep that in the perspective. Now, Ohio State going to be a good team, of course. But don't sit here and tell me, oh, I'm surprised you ain't got Brian Lewerke on your doggone list as a Heisman Trophy candidate. You know, so here we go again. 
so, 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 so close your mouth. Let's end the show. We'll talk about this next week. Give me a lap. All right, man. Go do your thing. <laughs> Drop the mic. Drop the mic. <laughs> all in good luck. All in good fun. All in love, young man. Listen, what I want to talk about tonight, what if I told you? What if I told you that once upon a time, you know, at the end, of, we're going to keep it on the college football theme. And y'all know that at the end of every college football year, you got the senior bowl, you got all these different uh, all-star games for these players to be looked at by the NFL. What if I told you that once upon a time, there was a time when all these college all-stars played on one team and they played against the Super Bowl champion? What if I told you that all these college all-stars at one time played against the Super Bowl champions and they beat them in in an exhibition game? Once upon a time, that used to happen. It used to be called the Chicago Charity Chicago Charities College All Star Game. It started at the beginning of preseason for the NFL. It, it, it began in 1934. It ended in 1976. Back then, the NFL was trying to get its footing into, into professional football. College football was the game. So one of the things they used to do is every time they would have a, the, the professional football champion to start to follow the next season. You would get a bunch of the best college athletes. They would they would they would be on the All Star team and they would play against the NFL champion. On a couple of times, they actually beat them. They actually beat uh, um, teams. They actually beat teams like the, the the Cleveland Browns. They actually beat teams like the Chicago Bears. And yes, they beat the 1958 World Champion Detroit Lions. Same old Lions, <laughs> even in an in exhibition football game. The last time they beat. Uh, Super Bowl champion, the only time they beat a Super Bowl champion, well, uh, NFL champion, should I say, was in 1963 when they beat the Vince Lombardi um, Green Bay Packers. They went on until, like, 1976. They played teams like the Kansas City Chiefs, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Steel Curtain team. That was the last team they played. That game didn't even finish. There was a, a severe thunderstorm in that game. They canceled their game, and it never came back. But it used to be fun to watch. You know, I can tell you as an old timer, it used to be fun to watch these all these, these college athletes, you know, from all over the world, and they're playing against the Super Bowl champions. Clearly, that that uh, something like that couldn't happen today, not with contracts and everything going on. But it was a time, it was a time when football was simpler, when we could just see the best athletes of college football play against the Super Bowl champs, and sometimes they got the best of them. That was that was then. This is now. That that's that's our show for tonight. Peace. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.